0: Sentire Media
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to A History of Italy Recap Recap Episode 2 Episodes 14 to 27 This episode is a recap of the regular A History of Italy episodes from number 14 to 27. If you're a diligent follower of the podcast, it will be a refresher for you. If you just want a quick overview of the history of Italy from around the year 774 to the year 1000, you're also in the right place. The first recap episode went from 476, the fall of the Western Roman Empire, to 774, the fall of of the Lombard Kingdom. Before we start, allow me to do a little bit of admin. First of all, if you've been thinking of helping to support the show, but like me, you just can't afford that extra fiver every once in a while, well, you're in luck. You can go on Amazon and purchase your copy of the K-Rock Chelsea Hotel. What does that have to do with the history of Italy, you might ask? Well, not much at all, I'm afraid, but it's a book that I've written along with a friend of mine, and a purchase of that book would help to go and support the show. You can get there through the support page of the website, www.ahistoryofitaly.com, or simply search on Amazon for The K-Rock Chelsea Hotel. Make sure you get the one with the article, The, because there's another one on there, which was a bit of a mistake that we made. Also, we have the new news cappuccino episodes out you can get episodes 000, 0000001 and 002 on the public feed soon we'll also be releasing episode 3 entitled identity crisis of a brexit victim an additive international pride so listen out for that and then starting from the fourth news cappuccino they will be for Patreon supporters only, so if you're not a Patreon supporter and you would like to continue to listen to News Cappuccino, you can head over to patreon.com, look up A History of Italy, become a patron, and then you'll have access to the News Cappuccino, or if you don't want to go through that, just drop me an email and we'll find another way to go about it. Thanks very much for your patience, and without further ado, let's go to our recap. We left off at the end of the last recap episode from the defeat of the last Lombard king, Desiderius, at the hands of Charlemagne in 774, in episode 14. We spoke a little about Charlemagne, and in particular we spoke about how he only discovered pecorino cheese as an adult, and initially hated it because he'd bitten into the crust, but once he had been shown which part to eat... He loved it and would not go anywhere without it. He also had a pet elephant, which he was very fond of, and may or may not have actually spoiled it to death by killing it with indigestion. Oh, and he's also considered the father of modern Europe because he formed the Holy Roman Empire. We saw Charlemagne's Frankish invasion had only reached as far as Rome, so. What became known as the Frankish Kingdom of Italy was only the northern part of the peninsula, down to the Papal States. The Franks themselves had actually helped to create those Papal States with the donation of Pippin in 754, in which Charlemagne's father, Pippin the Short, had promised the Papal Lands to the Pope, acting as a defender of the papacy, which was threatened by Lombard expansion. Speaking of the Lombards, the southern part of the peninsula was still in their hands. In particular, the duchies of Benevento and Spoleto, while other parts of the south, such as Naples, Capua and Sicily, as well as the Calabria and Apulia regions, were still, at least nominally, part of the Byzantine Empire, although their distance from Constantinople meant that they were gradually becoming more and more independent. In episode 15 we saw how in the year 800 Charlemagne was in Rome and on Christmas day of that year he was crowned Holy Roman Emperor by Pope Leo III. There is a bit of debate about whether Charles actually intended to be crowned since the fact that it had been the Pope to perform the coronation would mean that for centuries emperors would feel compelled to seek the intervention of the pontiff to give legitimacy to their position. Episode 16 was our chance to look at Italy after Charles the Great died in the year 814 and his death was the beginning of the end of his empire. He had already divided it up among his sons, with Italy going to his firstborn Pippin and other parts to Louis known as the Pious. But Pippin soon died and his son Bernard took over in Italy until he was ousted by the rightful heir, his uncle, Louis, who blinded his nephew, Bernard, who then died shortly after. Louis the Pious then further divided his reign and made a bit of a mess with the sons of his first wife and of his second wife, and to make a long story short, those who ruled over Italy were Lothar, then Louis II, then Charles the Bald, then Carloman, and finally, Charles the Fat, who was deposed in 888. The northern Italian nobles had taken advantage of all this to and froing of the Carolingians to increase their local autonomy. When we say Italian nobles, we mainly mean Franks and the remaining Lombards, since not all of the Lombards were killed or exiled after the Frankish invasion. Indeed, many happily collaborated with their new regime, Some had even already betrayed their last king, Desiderius. But by this time, the Lombards had blended in with the old Romans. And indeed, they had even forgotten their original Lombard language. After spending so much time looking at northern Italy and the Frankish invasion, in episode 17, we headed all the way down south to the island of Sicily, in particular, in the year 827, when the first Arab invasion occurred, although they had been raiding since the early 7th century. In this particular case, a group of Syracusan rebels, tired of the oppressive Byzantine tax system, asked Aglabid Caliph Ziadat Allah first for help, and help he did, but then he decided to stick around, and over the course of the next century, the Arabs started their domination of the island, forming a de facto independent emirate. From there, they were able to launch raids on the mainland, striking fear of the Saracens into the hearts of the locals for centuries to come, and even holding more permanent positions for short periods, such as Bari. We then headed back up the peninsula in episode 18 to see that the Lombard Duke of Benevento, Arechi at the time of the fall of the northern Lombard kingdom, had entertained ideas of becoming king, but soon settled for a principality. The principality of Benevento was later split into the principality of Benevento and Salerno in 851, then reunited at the end of the century, only to be divided again. The other parts of the south continue to be under Byzantine rule, or almost completely independent. In episode 19 we looked at the characteristics of the feudal society with the decline of cities in Europe in favour of rural settlements that grew larger and began to be concentrated into the hands of rich landowners which would then divide up their lands among vassals as it became harder to manage for a single noble family creating a network of higher and lower vassals that in Italy was placed over the already confusing political fragmentation. However, we also added that the decline of the city didn't hit Italy quite as hard as elsewhere, and the urban areas continued to survive, although not at all thrive, under the growing influence of the ecclesiastical powers in the hands of the bishops. The emperors would keep an eye over all of this structure with the system of the Missi Dominici, a sort of imperial representative. This was a situation in Italy between the end of the 9th century and the beginning of the 10th. We had the Kingdom of Italy, which included Piedmont, Lombardy, the land parts of Venice up to Venice but not what is today the city of Venice on the lagoon, Liguria, part of Tuscany, part of Abruzzo and the Marche. These references that we're using are the modern-day Italian regions, which are 20. Then, we had the Papal States, with varying borders, but mostly Rome and the surrounding areas. We had the Duchy of Spoleto, which was under the influence of the Kingdom of Italy, but autonomous enough for a mention. Further down, we had the Principality of Benevento and Salerno, the Duchy of Naples, and Calabria and Puglia under Byzantine control and the very bottom the independent emirate of Sicily two of the main players of this period between the ninth and 10th centuries were Guy of Spoleto and Berengarius of Frioli they fought over the throne of the kingdom of Italy but Berengarius won over pretty soon simply because Guido died during the struggle Berengarius had called in the help of the Pope at the time, Formosus, and Arnulf of Corinthia, who at a certain point, while besieging Guy of Spoleto in Rome, was able to overcome the city's defences when he went chasing after a rabbit, and his army followed him. Although in the end he got to be king, Berengarius didn't have it easy. What with the Spoleto faction still active, Magyars, which means Hungarian incursions, and in the end he was poisoned for using those same Magyars against the Italians in 926, that is, he was poisoned in 926. We then concentrated on Rome for episodes 20 and 21, because things were getting really interesting. The Tuscolo family, headed by Theophylact and his wife Theodora, came to dominate the city with the help of Spoleto. In particular, their daughter Marozia dominated the politics of the city and central Italy for the first few decades of the 10th century. With her seductive skills, she would get friendly with men of power, and with her marriage, she brought Spoleto and Tuscany into her sphere of influence. Among her lovers were various popes, To the point, this period in history of Rome is also referred to as the Pornocracy. We're not sure how much her bad reputation corresponds to reality, since she probably got bad press from the religious chroniclers. Her third marriage to Hugo of Provence was her downfall, because her son, Alberic, was not happy about the idea of being pushed out of the picture by his new stepfather who had his eye set on the imperial title. So, Alberic ousted his mother and stepfather and ruled Rome for over 20 years. Meanwhile, Hugo of Provence never did get back into the city, but he was king of northern Italy, which meant headaches with the various nobles who also wanted to be king or just weren't interested in being bossed around by one. Among these, another Berengarius this time of Ivrea popped up but soon had to leave the country as he ran from Hugo and sought refuge with Otto I of Germany and future Holy Roman Emperor. Otto lent Berengarius an army which he didn't do much with but when Hugo and then his son Lothar died Berengarius was finally able to take power. Lothar had left a wife, the beautiful Adelaide, who refused to marry Berengarius, so he shut her up in a tower on Lake Garda. She was able to escape and sought refuge in Canossa, in the province of present-day Reggio Emilia, with Adalberto Atto, where she sent for help to Otto of Germany, who promptly crossed the Alps and married Adelaide and crowned himself King of Italy in 951, while he was at it. He later also became Holy Roman Emperor in 962 and declared his Privilegium Otonis in which the Emperor claimed the right to nominate the Pope to counterbalance the fact that it had been the Pope to set the president of crowning the Emperor with Charlemagne in 800. So basically the Emperor could nominate the man who then crowned the Emperor. This started a whole struggle with the Pope and the Roman nobility in which the Emperor would elect a Pope that would then be deposed by the Roman nobles as soon as the Emperor turned his back and then the Emperor, whatever Otto he may have been at the time would get increasingly annoyed and repress the Roman nobles. The latter were now starting to be dominated by the Crescenzi family who had married into the Tuscolo clan. Another problem between the papacy and the empire was that, in Germany in particular, the Ottos were nominating bishop counts to hold power, and that would cause great problems in the future. The Pope at the time of the coronation of Otto I was the very interesting John XII, who was more interested in spending time partying and in the company of lovely ladies than anything remotely related to religion. The Ortonians also had a dream of unifying the whole Italian peninsula under the imperial crown. Otto I was able to expand his influence using his buddy Pandolfo Ironhead, Prince of Benevento and Salerno, and then also Duke of Spoleto, and under Otto II, also Duke of Capua. Otto I tried to reach a deal with the Byzantines to expand his influence over the parts of Italy that they controlled, but all he ended up with was a Byzantine princess, Theophanu or Theophania, as a daughter-in-law. And after a struggle with the Byzantine Empire, they ended up confirming the status quo. When Otto I died in 973, and things passed into the hands of Otto II, it was a while before he showed up in Italy, which he did in 981, to sort out Venice, with its alternating pro-Otonian and pro-Byzantine factions, and of course the Pope. He also tried to expand south, but was defeated by the Arabs, called in by the Byzantines for help, at the Battle of Capo Colonna, and almost lost his life, as well as a disastrous battle, which also changed the face of southern Italian politics, moving the line of succession of many principalities and duchies due to the deaths of the heads of the houses. When Otto II died in 983, his young son was helped under the regency of his mother, Theophanu and his grandmother, Adelaide, and when he grew up, he was gung-ho on the idea of a new Roman empire, and even found the right partner for the dream in Pope Sylvester II, a man of vast culture, but he was not able to deal with the real-life politics of keeping control over such a vast empire. So, that brings us up to the year 1000. Next time, we'll see how people felt at the passing of the millennium, and how the average Joe, or better in our case, the average Giuseppe, lived around that time as always thank you very very much for listening in particular i'd like to thank my patreon donors sen shelby benjamin sean preston and roberta thank you very much guys for your continued support remember that if you want to get in touch you can drop us an email hello at a history of At the same URL you can visit the website, click through to our social media or have a look at our timeline, maps, charts and so on to navigate our country's complicated history. Once again thank you very much and until next time, arrivederci.